con Daniel Jones. Y es rápida la jugada y jugada de abanico. ¡Oh! ¡Uno, dos, tres! ¡Bellinger! 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 ¡El Tainan! ¡El novato que está poniendo un nombre temprano en la liga! ¡Daniel Bellinger! ¡Touchdown! Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. We get all the Mets calls. Daniel Bellinger, hometown hero. I don't know what that was like a quadruple reverse that was supposed to end with a pass. Yeah, uh, it didn't work out, so he just said, "The hell with it." Ran for the end zone. Uh, Spanish radio call there from the uh, Giants radio network. Did you like the call? I liked it. It was good. I I think calls in Spanish generally have a lot more flair and excitement. So I'm in. Are Spanish broadcasters kind of instructed to, or is it just kind of the tradition of the, the play-by-play call? It, it might, I think it's the tradition of the play-by-play call. I also do think, and this is maybe I, I, I come from a, a, a different side on this, I guess, to a certain extent, because obviously my grandmother's from Mexico and whatnot. I think Spanish is a language that brings excitement in the way that it is spoken anyway. Yeah. So I think that kind of helps with the calls that make them sound more dynamic. Like, when my wife gets talking... And she's going back. I'm like, hey, yeah. you, guys, you guys speak so fast, and it is so far. <laughs> She'll tell me she loves me in Spanish, and I'll be like, why are you mad at me? She's like, no, it just, it just waits out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. UNLV's coming up, uh, or coming back, football team, if I can speak English. They're playing this Saturday. Air Force is in town. Air Force has done a number on them last couple times out. They haven't beaten them in almost 10 years. Last year kind of ran it down their throat, and UNLV was just beat up. At the end of the season, I think they have a chance to win this game, and I think they have a chance to win the game whether Brumfield plays or not. I think they have a chance to win the game if Cam Friel is the starting quarterback. There's a lot going on here. First with uh, Brumfield and you know trying to get him ready for the game. We don't really know what the injury is. We were told an ankle and a head injury. The assumption is, what, concussion? Yep. Nothing official on that. Let's just assume Brumfield's out. Have you seen the arguments from some people who are claiming that Marcus Arroyo is not giving Harrison Bailey a fair shot? Why isn't he doing that? That guy came from Tennessee. I, I saw the one angry guy <laughs> that was doing it. There's been more going back a yeah. couple of weeks. Well, I, saying, you know, if you bring him in, why not give him a shot? So, look, we, we actually got to be there in, like at practice throughout camp, getting ready for it. You've been in practices throughout the season. I mean, I think it's – at some point, like is you and I just talk about the general you out there if you really think that Harrison Bailey should be the guy why don't you ever ask yourself why would he bring him in and not play him if he is the best guy right I think it's like a fairly obvious question to ask right I feel like people are alleging there's something like he's got it out for him like why would he have it out for him he brought him in with the hopes that he would up the quarterback room he didn't win the job he hasn't won the number two as of late um, I don't think there's anything sinister at hand here, and I don't think he's cheating the kid out of an opportunity. No, not at all. And it, like, and it, there's a reason why Cam was the guy to come out in the San Jose State game, the first one off of the bench, because I'm assuming that Marcus and his staff have seen something in Friel that they have not yet seen in Harrison Bailey. And I think that's pretty fair assumption to make. And from what I've personally seen, and it was granted the last time I saw Harrison Bailey in the practice setting, I haven't been there since the regular season, but from what we saw and we talked about during camp, what was one of the first observations we made near the end of the regular season was, wouldn't be surprised if Bailey was the third-string guy from what we saw. And at the time, people were like, what? Right. There's no way. Just because he has, like, TR Tennessee next to his name, transferred from Tennessee, doesn't necessarily mean that he's grandfathered into yeah. winning that job. And, and by the way, because there were a lot of people before the season started, how can you start Brumfield? Look, 
clearly Arroyo and his coaches knew what they were looking at, right? Yeah. Brumfield has has had a very good year, and, and I think that that's the that is the deal. And when you watched in San Jose State, there were some issues that were there for real. And I even asked about one of them on Monday, right? The pre-snap stuff. Caleb did a great job when he was talking about it, breaking it down. Where Friel at times is getting into check battles, where he would check the check the line of scrimmage of protection. They would shift, he'd check it again, and they would get up to a delay a game where they'd have to burn a timeout. There's little things like that that he has to work on. There's things in his accuracy that he has to work on. The fourth and goal, right, where he throws his receiver incomplete because he throws it down and into the ground. The guy has to go down to get it. That's an issue. But on a, I think it was like a second down where he steps up in the pocket and it finds Seneca McKee across the middle with a dart on a rope that went like 15 yards downfield, like you can see the arm talent there with Friel. I think there's, I think rightfully so, he's probably going to get the start this week. The betting's been all over the place. It it's opened, weird. It opened 12, went down 8.5. Uh, last I saw it was 10. Air Force favored in all these situations. And you are alleging that some people betting the game maybe didn't know about Brumfield's status? No, no. Like I listened to a couple of college football betting podcasts too, and like there were a couple of people that like, even just recapping really quickly the San Jose State game, there was like, oh, UNLV got whooped. No mention of Brumfield going down in the first quarter or anything like that. Like that's kind of a little bit. It's a little right, something you want, right? Yeah. That you might want to look into there. Um, so I don't. I don't know if that was the case that people realized that Brumfield was hurt and is probably not going to play this weekend. But you're right. The betting's all over the place. Open twelve. Some spots were as low as eight and a half. Now it's like ten consensus. But it is kind of weird seeing the odds move and knowing what we know about the injury situation. We're at Silver Sevens getting ready for Thursday night football. You want to come down here? Use your a, uh, a play card with the machines and the tables and what do you get well you get benefits almost every day they've got the sunday gift giveaway every sunday between noon and seven o'clock at silver sevens here at flamingo and paradise they've got uh, the giveaway coming up this week options are a baking set a pyrex storage set with 12 pieces frying pan set so you can pick from one of those and then man i'm fired up for next week they're actually giving away a Bluetooth karaoke system with a wireless LED speaker and a microphone. How do you get those things? Well, you play. You use your A-play card here at Silver 7s. It's on the corner of Flamingo and Paradise. Get on down here. More college football breakdown on the other side. We're going to talk to Michael Felder and really get into that big matchup between Alabama and Tennessee. Join Cofield and Company on Mondays for the live 2 to 5 show at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Big beers for under 4 bucks. Select appetizers are 2, 4 and 6 dollars. Come hang at Twin Peaks for Monday night football. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company. Time for our weekly college football preview. With insider Michael Felder on Twitter at In the Bleachers, part of the Learfield podcast family. Well, the most shocking result last week, Mike, was Texas just blowing out Oklahoma. And I'm sure a lot of OU fans are really frustrated right now. Should they be giving up on Brett Venables? He's got a lot of work to do. I think the big key, obviously, when you get you know your brains beat in like that against your rival, uh, you got a lot of things you have to work on. But the big key for me is he's still got to figure a lot of this stuff out and and and. and we can talk about getting shut out. We can talk about um, the Dylan Gabriel injury, obviously, and not trusting the backup quarterback. But I think the reality of it is, is the biggest part for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the defense, the defense being that bad, that's scary because that's what he's supposed to be good at. And I don't know if it means that he's worried so much about the other side of the ball that he can't focus in on what he's really good at or how that's going to work for him. But that's something that the big red flag for me was – not the zero points, it was the 49 points because he was supposed to come in and fix this defense. So that's the part that I'm, I'm going to continue to pay attention to because they got to figure out what they're going to be and who they want to be defensively 
before they can ever move from an offensive standpoint. You know, and now we're in a weird zone around college football, uh, and this is always where we should have been, but trying to be extra careful about injuries, but especially concussions and, you know, this Kansas-Oklahoma game is just kind of tragic as a strong word, but it sucks for Kansas because you have this nice turnaround season. you got a good quarterback. Now he's very iffy for the rest of the season. It, I guess as it turns out, it's a, a dislocated or separated shoulder. Yep. What do you make of that game? What a weird spot for both teams with Oklahoma laying nine. Yeah, it's – I think folks are still believing in them. But, man, if Eric Gray is your best option at quarterback, it's going to be a long season for you. So, um, Kansas is interesting. Obviously, uh, Jalen Daniels going down is rough for them. But, listen, Jason Bean came in and made a lot of plays. And I thought that he did a really good job of what he was asked to do and what they wanted him to do. And uh, he found ways to get the ball to Skinner. He found ways to get the ball to, um, to, to Grimm. Grimm was really good down the stretch for them as a guy that had some body control and was able to make sure he got the ball. Uh, he got the ball inbounds and where he needed to be to help them score. And, and they just didn't have enough to outlast TCU, obviously, uh, who's another really good football team uh, for Oklahoma. Look, you, you can come. I don't, I was talking to Kevin Sumlin last night for field of 12 and he said they might be better off playing on the road because We've seen Oklahoma fans, what was it, a year ago? Boo, Spencer, Rattler. They don't, um, they don't take kindly to this, to losing, and to, to especially to losing to Kansas. If, that, if they are down to Kansas, they're not going to take kindly to it. They're not going to give this team the grace that they probably need because they're not that good, especially without their starting quarterback. So I, that was an interesting point from Coach Sumlin, but a point that resonated with me. And in theory, like – Big picture, everyone's like, well, they're back at home and things will be better. But also, it's kind of nice when you're on the road and you just – all the people you have with you are the people in your same locker room. So we'll see how Oklahoma responds because that's the key. I know what Kansas is going to do. I have no idea what I'm what to expect from Oklahoma. I'm glad you mentioned Sumlin. I have no idea if he wants to coach again. I don't know if he needs to because now there's almost an industry here. There really – there's an industry here for coaches. You get big jobs. You get a buyout. You're basically – set for life, which brings yep. us to Matt Rule. Matt Rule's owed like $42 million, yep. and he's not an old guy. Now, I don't know about the reality of sitting out like three or four years and just doing TV. I might think about it because I want all my money from the Panthers, and then I know I'm going to go somewhere, and guess what? Guess what my buyout is at a college job? Another like $25 million. I just read the headline on CBSSports.com why Matt Rule is perfect is, it, is the perfect fit. Let me say it again. Why Matt Rule is the perfect fit for Nebraska. Is there a perfect fit for Nebraska, and should Matt Rule run back to the college game to take that job? I think he's a good fit. I don't know that there's a perfect fit, um, but he is someone who saw success at Baylor. He saw success at Temple, and those two things kind of are – I'm not going to call them wastelands, but they're places where it's really hard to recruit to, and it's really hard to get those guys. So you have to build your team from the bottom up, which I think is the way everybody should be doing it. Uh, the scary thing is Alabama is built from the bottom up. They just have happen to get the best players. So uh, it, it's Nebraska is an interesting job, and they've got there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen, right? It's not just your athletic director. It's not just the school president. It's the boosters, and it's these loud, very vocal um, alumnus, like guys that were like, when I was there, we were winning championships. I'm like, yeah, man, but you haven't been around football in 25 years. You don't understand what's going on. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see um, what he does. I'm with you. Coach Sumlin, let me tell you something. There's a glow to Coach Sumlin where he just is 
he's got his feet up, he's having a glass of wine, and he's enjoying life. So, and he yep. gets to still do. He's still around the game because he's still doing some consulting things, and you know, coming in and watching practices and helping guys tune things up. He's still doing all this stuff. He's still involved in the game. It's not like he's just fully on the sideline. He is still involved. And if, for Matt Rule, whatever it takes to get all the money that you can get, go ahead and get it, man. Listen, if somebody will give me a $42 million buyout, I'll take it. Because I guess what? You will never see my face on camera ever again. Michael Felder's with us. All right. Big game of the week. Bama, Tennessee. Small line by the looks of it. Seven. But we don't know about the status of Bryce Young. So break this game down. Yeah, this is really scary. Um, Bryce Young obviously is dealing with an injury, that sprained AC joint. It's an in- it's inflammation and pain management, and how you handle that's going to be interesting. You can't just shoot him up because he still has to have touch and feel with his fingers and with his ability to spin the football. So you can't just shoot him up. You've got to be able to manage that. And so how he manages that pain is going to be interesting. But also, this is a team, they have two completely different offenses when he's in the game versus when he's not in the game. When he's in the game, they can do a lot of things that are confusing and, and, and make it tough for the defense. When he's not in the game, uh, Milrow, Jalen Milrow is going to have to figure out a way to be successful. And a lot of that's going to come with his legs and off the idea of zone reads or RPOs. He's going to have to do all those things. That's going to be really um, – and how you manage your 20 weeks of practice with two guys that run different concepts, with receiving core, with tight ends, with an offensive line that's going to have to adjust all that, that's the hardest part of this job. That's the part that Nick Saban's been good at, but it's the hardest part of this job. So I'm very curious to see how that shakes itself out. And then on the other side, I will say this. When Alabama decides to go get the quarterback, whew, are they terrifying? And I think that's what Hendon Hooker is going to have to deal with because I think that instead of worrying about covering everybody, Alabama is going to worry about getting to the quarterback so that he can only throw to one side of the field by overloading one side, and then they'll cover down the other side. But I definitely think they're going to overload left, bring pressure left, flush him to his right, and then they can cover just that right side and have to set them to worry about that backside. I know you love what Tennessee does on offense and yeah. on four hard downs. You did a video and you talked about Hendon Hooker and the QB lead draw. Yes. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's one of those things where they go doubles wide, right? They got they got two guys outside the numbers to the left, two guys outside the numbers to the right, which forces one, two, three, four, five defenders to be outside or close to the numbers, which means if you've got five defenders that five defenders that way, you got a single high safety, that's five plus one is six, six. We got five guys inside. Five guys in the box. We got five offensive linemen. So that's five on five, plus a lead blocker in the running back. So that's six on five. You got space. And Hooker can make that space work. 23 yard gain, I think is what he ran for uh, on one of those lead draw the lead draw. But he has they force you to make a decision. They force you to be out of position, and that's what I really love about them. Mississippi State does the same thing, not so much with quarterback run, but with their running game. Oh, was it Dylan Johnson had a huge rushing game uh, this past week against Arkansas because they spread everybody out, and then they were able to hand the ball off to him, and all he has to do is make one guy miss. And something that I don't know if a lot of folks know this, but what they tell you in football if you're a running back is there's always going to be one guy you got to make miss, one guy. And Johnson consistently made that guy miss. Hooker, going back to it, he had half a guy, basically, because the running back is a lead blocker, so he gets to pick which linebacker he takes. And then all Hooker has to do is pick those feet up and get away from that linebacker, and now he's already in the safety's face. And so it's really – it's speed and space, but there's also a toughness to it because they're able to clear out the box. 
We just talked about the health of Bryce Young. I don't know about the health of Jefferson for Arkansas. Fascinating yeah. game out this way as Arkansas takes on BYU, BYU off the loss and a, and a really cool showcase spot here in Vegas against Notre Dame. I, I have no idea. Do you know what to expect from this game? Because I don't. I have no clue what I'm what I'm looking for in this game. I don't know if we're going to get to see KJ Jefferson. How much are they going to ask of Malik Hornsby? Um, we know we're, the only thing I know from Arkansas is we're going to see uh, Sanders run the ball a lot. And then for BYU, we still haven't seen Gunner and Puka kind of together healthy. And so it's still a working – the whole thing, this is a mystery. I don't know how anyone handicaps this game when we don't know. Like, if we're if – we're, like, realistically, Jefferson, Puka, and Gunner are the three best players in this football game, and we don't know how much, if any, of those guys we're going to see. Yeah, I like the BYU running backs too, but uh, unfortunately their defense hasn't been consistent enough and they couldn't get enough stops yeah. against Michael Mayer. So let's talk about Michael Mayer because that was also part of your four hard downs and – Man, he's a playmaker, and I know you were you were throwing your hands up, uh, saying, "Hey, how come teams are not accounting for this guy?" And by the way, uh, Notre Dame plays Stanford this week, so the Cardinal better account for Michael Mayer. At least Stanford knows what a tight end is, and they should at least, in my mind, they should be covering him. But man, I don't understand how he was seven catches against UNC, eight catches against Marshall. Like how? And I'm gonna say, arguably, I know that about Brock Bowers. I know Keithy there at Utah. I understand. He's arguably the best tight end in the country. And somehow he's running free because we're not talking about him like mossing people, right? We're not talking about him making catches in traffic. We're talking about him being completely wide open, completely wide open, which means you're not accounting for him pre-snap, which is that's terrifying to me, which means you either don't respect him or you don't care about what your coaches are telling you. Either way, somebody cover this guy. Hopefully it's Stanford this week. Like this guy – he should be on decoy status where he runs routes to get other guys open because you have two guys on him the whole time. Did I read you describing a West Coast team as a team that basically punches someone in the mouth? Well, actually, as you as you put it, I think it was pull the pants down and spank them, and it was UCLA. Now, UCLA's yes. got a week off before they take on Oregon, but I know you were highly impressed against physical v. physical and the Bruins coming out on top. Yeah, I, they did. They, they listen. They pant. Listen. This is one of those ones. What did I say? I said this is one when you're, the principal calls your mom and she's like, "Wait till your dad gets home." And Utah, and, excuse me, UCLA was the daddy for Utah that day, and they they pulled those pants down and they painted that back porch red. So it was one of those things where UCLA is a tough football team. They fight hard, and at the end of that game, you let me ask you something, Cofield. Did it look like Utah wanted to, ta to tackle Zach Charbonnet? No, it was one of those games where the, the big back eventually breaks the defense and they're like, I, I'm just tired of getting hit. Yeah, this is one of those, please don't hit me anymore. Like, I'm. We, can we just go? We, we lost. We already lost. Can we please go home? And I think that that's, I think that's going to cause an interesting reaction from Utah because I think Whittingham, because they play USC this weekend, I think Whittingham is going to show I hope he's got that, that game on. I hope he's got that thing on loop, playing in the locker room, playing in the weight room. This is what you guys did. We're supposed to be the toughest team in America, and you guys did this. And so I hope that motivates them against USC. But to go back to UCLA, they're a tough football team. I don't remember his name, but number 58 on the defense, that little plug in the middle, that guy's a monster. And then you got guys running side to side to go make plays. And this team is tough, and they belong in the top 10. And I'm very excited to see what we get out of them because this isn't Chip Kelly just being smarter than everyone else. This is him being like, 
we're going to be a tough, solid football team that does the same thing all the time out of different formations, but we execute it perfectly and we make the other team hurt. And I love to see it. He's our college football insider. Let's wrap real quick. It's Michael Felder, part of the Learfield uh, podcast family, hand in the dirt, also college sports now. I got three games. We'll go quickly through these. Penn okay. State plus seven. Can the Nittany Lions pull off the upset against Michigan? I don't know if either one of these teams is good. That's the problem. <laughs> like that's a that's the real problem. Like I think we're gonna we we everybody joked about the Iowa and Illinois football game. I think we're gonna look at something close to that. I think if somebody's whoever scores seventeen points first is probably gonna win. Clemson, Florida State. I love this game. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm very interested to see Jordan Travis, obviously. Uh, uh, Rod is there as well. I'm very curious to see what they, what Florida State's quarterback situation looks like. But I also want to see how how many chances Clemson takes. If Clemson's willing to take chances down the field, they got an opportunity to make this game a blowout. I just don't think they're going to take that many chances. And then obviously, hopefully we get a, 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 pretty, a relatively healthy Will Shipley. This guy's kind of been running to the ground. He is... He's tired, but man, when he when he comes alive, he comes alive. I think Clemson wins, but I do think we've got a Florida State team that is still figuring out who they are. They just got to figure out: Are we going to run the ball a lot, or are we going to take chances down the field with some of these big wide receivers? By the way, on four hard downs, I, I don't did I miss some food entries because of the move? Yes, I because of the move, I haven't had as many food entries. But guess what? Today, right now, I actually am planning on depending on when my stuff gets here. But I am planning on doing a little uh, seafood pasta, uh, a little, little with a goat cheese uh, cream sauce. So I'm going to try to knock that out. I hope that works well. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make pasta from scratch. I just picked up some semolina. We're going to do that. We're going to knock it out. So it should be good to go. We're going to do semolina, goat cheese, uh, semolina pasta, goat cheese sauce. We're going to knock that whole thing out with a little bit of parm on top with some seafood. So, yes, I have not been posting as much food in the in the four hard downs because – I'm, in, I'm moving. You know what I got? You know what my kitchen looks like right now? I have one cast iron skillet, one square cast iron grill pan, a Dutch oven. That's it. And then my knife roll. That's all I have. I don't have my stand mixer. I don't have my food processor. I made tomato sauce yesterday for pizza, and I had to use a little metal spatula to, to break, to crush up the tomatoes because I don't have a blender. Well, I just wanted to, to let you know that we, we care. We care. We're always looking for it, so we miss it. That's all. There we go. I sense the frustration. All right, Mike, have a good week. Enjoy the games. Thank you guys so much. You take it easy. Michael Felder at In the Bleachers on Twitter. Make sure you look into signing up for his weekly bulletin. Actually puts out two or three a week. Great breakdown of college football again on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Giveaway time. Let's give out tickets to go see the Scorpions October 21st at Mick Ultra Arena. You can get your own tickets at axs.com that's axs.com for tickets for the scorpions on october 21st at mandalay bay right now though ari's got two tickets call her seven three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero awesome giveaways and promotions all week long at the william hill race and sportsbook inside silver sevens hotel and casino I was a part of that whole thing. And there's nothing more than I want is to play the Houston Astros and finally beat them. As a player, the guys that have been there and have played against the Astros and understand beating them would silence everybody. But you can't say, oh, well, you didn't beat Houston. You won a World Series. If I'm a fan, I want Seattle because that's the easier road. But as a player inside, I want to take Houston on and finally take them off the mound. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Todd Frazier with some analysis there about how much everyone hates Houston. I guess who the Yankees 
would uh, want to take on. Houston leading 3-2, bottom eight. Jordan Alvarez did it again. 2-1 lead for Seattle, and Alvarez hits a uh, two-run shot in the bottom of the sixth, chases Louis Castillo out. Why is there only one regular season game on right now? Wait, what? Wait, is it not the regular season still? No, it's not. The playoffs have started, John. What's going on with you? Do you not follow sports? Uh, Do your job, man. I am doing my job. Nobody cares. I shouldn't say nobody. I know. I should say nobody. But if you're telling me you want to sit down and watch some baseball playoffs, my first question would be, are the Angels in it? And then my response would be, then no. You think it's that regional? I think so. I mean, it's, it's super regional for me. You, you get me more as the, you know, the series get whittled down. But, like, last night, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I put it on Do- – something. the craziest thing happened, Steve. I put on Dodgers-Padres, and I blinked, and I was watching Timberwolves-Lakers. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I really think baseball needs to start a little bit earlier and play a lot of doubleheaders and be done by the first week of September. Yes. I don't, I don't think it's healthy for the sport to compete against football. Well, you're competing against football. Basketball starts next Tuesday. Hockey's underway. Like, that's – it's really tough to have your championship run kind of buried there. Think about all these other sports. I mean, hockey and the NBA share a stage, but it's alternating nights for the most part. They each have their own nights, especially when you get to the championship stage. Uh, football's football, right? You're just going up against too much right now, man. College football. Do you think the expanded baseball playoffs are a bad thing? Is there too many rounds now? No. Too many games, too many rounds. I mean, it might hurt when you get to the postseason, but I think it's a good thing because it keeps more people interested in the regular season. Yeah. You know, so there's a kind of double-edged sword there, but I don't think it's terrible. Like you said, if you were to if you were to just, like, move it back just a skosh, then it would be, yep. be pretty solid. All right, how about this one? On the theme of bigger isn't always better. Yeah. There is talk now about the NCAA basketball tournament going to – 96 from 68 or even 128. I'm all for it. Uh, to what limit? Uh, I think up to 128. I think 96 is fine. I think there's. I think the last, uh, you know, at large, the last like 25, say eight, get in. I think those 25 teams are all about the same. There's incredible parity now around college basketball and bringing in another wave of some smaller teams and some mid-level teams from the Power 5 conferences, I'd be fine with it to push it to 96. Yeah, I like I'm not I'm not way like I'm not way against expanding it. 128 I feel like seems a little ridiculous cuz you get to some pretty bad teams when you get to like 128th in the country. Um but I like I'm I'm in for like obviously do I go the sappy route? Like I'm in for it for the kids. Like that's really cool for yeah. these kids to be able to participate in an NCAA tournament and like you said, I mean it's basketball. One game over the course of, like, 70 possessions, there, can you win against teams, anybody? Uh, you know, I mean, if you're really letting teams in that were truly in the top 128, it'll, be, it'll go deeper than that. But let's stick with 96. I mean, the, the top 100 teams, you know, plus some beyond that, those teams can beat top teams. They can knock off teams in the top 20. NC State, to give people an idea, these are Ken Palm rankings, but, like, uh, this was, yeah, last year. Like, NC State and... Louisville were like your 128th and 127th ranked team. We'll go stay, stay in the top 100. So who was like 80 to 100? Uh, let's see. So like 80 to 100, that would include UNLV. Uh, but we're talking like New Mexico State, South Dakota State. Uh, I think Oregon made it, if I remember correctly. That was too long ago. I can't remember. Uh, Maryland, Drake. Uh, let's see. Some other names that would be recognizable. Northwestern Penn State, UNLV, as I mentioned. Uh, Grand Canyon, Arizona State. Those teams would all have a shot to win a game, win maybe two games. Going further than that, you never know. 
Yeah, and UNLV is a good example because UNLV was a team that I thought got better as the year went along. And it's not the same team they were at the beginning of the year. Yep. And that team that had that momentum, you allow them to get into the Mountain West Conference tournament against a, you know, whatever the powers that be or however they would sort that. That's a competitive team. Commanders, Bears, Thursday night football. Beers are 77 cents. Come on down, Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra. That starts at kickoff. That's good for any uh, every NFL game the rest of the season right here at Silver 7s at Flamingo and Paradise. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. 5 receiver package, empty backfield, second and 10, Friel back to throw. He's pressured, he moves to his left, and he's going to be sacked at the 7-yard line. And the man who came crashing in to wrap him up was defensive lineman Viliami Fajoko. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Here, Russ Langer on the way back there, courtesy Learfield, Ruffco, Ruffco at San Jose State for UNLV football. 4-2 on the season, still a pretty good start for UNLV. Air Force is also 4-2, and, and they meet up this Saturday at the Al. JBT is here, it's Cofield. Let's bring in Jesse Kurtz, who, of course, uh, probably best known for all of his coverage with the Mountain West Conference, but he also is on the call of the Air Force games, and Jesse's up with us now. How are you, sir? I am terrific. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. We're looking forward to this game. You know, we talked, uh, what was it, a couple months ago, you know, looking forward to this one, and I'm not sure that we thought both teams would be 4-2, and two, but uh, <laughs> it's, been a re- it's been a really interesting season for both teams. Let's start with Air Force. Um, are they disappointed at 4-2, and two, or is this about where they should be? No, I think there's a little bit of disappointment um, because you were in both of those games, probably, you know, could identify four or five plays that if if you get a few things to go your way or, or make things go your way, you probably win those games. So I, I think there is a little bit of disappointment. We all know how hard it is to, to go undefeated in college football and all the, the, the folks in Vegas we saw out here in Colorado Springs a lot of the books were saying that Air Force was one of the teams in the country, one of the, like three that was going to be favored in every single game for all 12 weeks, and that puts a lot of pressure, right? Um, so I think there was a lot of people that bought in, like, what's going on, four and two? Uh, but uh, winning on the road is hard, and that's the places where Air Force has struggled. Lost at Wyoming, 17-14, to 14, and then lost at Utah State, 34-27. to 27. Uh, so I suppose there's a little bit of disappointment, primarily because Air Force already, uh, as a team that uh, really fancied itself as a contender in the Mountain West, is behind the eight ball. The, the margin for air now to get into a Mountain West championship game is razor thin. I don't think there, well, there hasn't ever been a three-loss team in the Mountain Division to ever make it to a Mountain West championship game. So if history is in any in indication, um, you're behind the eight ball. So from that standpoint, maybe a little disappointing here uh, entering week eight here on the season or week seven on the season. So, Jesse, I think the one thing that sticks out to me that might be, I guess, disappointing for them uh, is their play defensively. If you look at some of the metrics for them, like EPA per play standpoint, 70, actually 84th in the country, especially against the run, it's been a little disappointing up front. What, what have you made of their performances defensively? So you're, I think you're exactly right, and I would, I would point to especially maybe in the last, maybe the last two weeks, but you could lump in the Wyoming game. Tackling has been an issue, and that hasn't been an issue in the last couple of years. I mean, this is an Air Force team defensively that's, that's held uh, five opponents to 21 or fewer points 
in the uh, in the last couple of seasons, and are 15 of the last 19 in the last couple of seasons, where consistently you're keeping teams out of the end zone, but the tackling has been less than um, up to par here for an Air Force team, and it led to a big third down run at Wyoming that helped seal the deal when when Air Force thought that maybe they're going to get the ball back to have a chance to win it. And then the two drives late that put the game away for Utah State, a number of missed tackles as well. So there's a couple of, of injuries, one to the starting linebacker. There's a leading tackler, Alec Mock. That's a concern, and Michael Mack. Um, but an Air Force team that prides itself at least fundamentally on being very good at those sorts of things, tackling has been an issue, and it's it's been a reason that yards for play has has been up this year. So well, I think a lot of people, and I brought this up to Marcus Arroyo when we got to talk to him on Monday, a lot of people think Air Force, they think uh, option, they think running attack. Uh, a lot of people might be surprised that Hazeek Daniels is one of the better quarterbacks that you're going to see out there. Uh, talk, talk to our audience a little bit about Daniels, how good he's been, because I talk about some of these EPA numbers. They actually, by efficiency standpoint, have the sixth best passing attack in the country. Yeah, and that's kind of been the case over the last about four or five years with Donald Hammond. Uh, before Hazeek Daniels, they picked their spots very well. And both of those quarterbacks, including Hazeek Daniels, is very capable of when a pass is called that he's able to deliver. And he's got some good receivers, one of the better uh, physically uh, gifted receivers that Air Force has had in, in a number of years, and David Cormier, 6'3", 225-pound senior. Um, you don't usually get targets like that, and, and Cormier has been sensational so far this year, already six catches, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in this offense it certainly is. But Hazeek Daniels uh, is very good at hitting the home run ball, um, and a lot of that is a product of baiting safeties in um, with you know run over the tackle, run over the tackle, option right, and then all of a sudden they start leaking in, and a play-action pass is called, and a David Cormier or a Dane Kinnaman slips beyond those safeties, and then it's all over. And Hazik Daniels is very, very capable of doing that. He's hit a number of big plays already this season, um, did it a ton early in the year against Northern Iowa and Colorado. And in his career, he's done that, hit a, a 92-yarder against Colorado uh, State last year. Getting ready for Air Force and UNLV at Allegiant. UNLVtickets.com is where you get your tickets. 7.30 kickoff. On Saturday night, Jesse Kurtz is with us. He's the uh, color analyst on radio for the Falcons. I'm always fascinated looking into the background of uh, all the Air Force athletes and, and where guys come from. And you and I have talked before about Hazeek Daniels, and I'm a Jersey guy, so he actually high school, you know, like a two towns over, um, you know, was a decent recruit there, and then he lands, you know, at a great place like Air Force, and he's, he's doing really well. Brad Roberts has been a high achiever. He's got 709 on the ground this year. I know against UNLV last year, basically in a half, he had 98 and two touchdowns. What is his backstory? How did they find Roberts, who's now going to turn into a guy who probably in uh, you know in his last two years is going to rush for you know upwards of like 2,400 yards? Yeah. So Brad Roberts was right in the backyard of the Air Force Academy, just up the road in suburban Denver, in a town uh, Arvada, Colorado, home to Joel Klatt and Roy Halladay, and uh, yours truly. Uh, so very proud of, of uh, Brad, right? Great company to be in, although I don't belong in that company. Um, you know, Brad Roberts playing at Ralston Valley, which is a football powerhouse in the state of Colorado, was a very good player. Um, under-recruited, as you might imagine, most Air Force players are. He was a smaller kid, 5'11", 200 pounds, um, maybe coming out of high school. 
really the only offers that he had were Air Force and University of North Dakota. He wanted to fly, and he would he would have gotten that opportunity, uh, ironically enough, to go to North Dakota. He would have had to work some, some other angles, but could have done that. Wanted to fly, and um, his dad is an NFL player, was an NFL player, played for the Broncos briefly. His mom is a, a Division One volleyball player at the uh, University of Northern Colorado, so has all the genes. But what sets the kid apart is his resiliency and toughness. I mean, here's a guy that runs between the tackles 20 to 35, somewhere in that uh, range times per game, and yep. keeps running out there. I mean, he's undersized, but runs with the big boys inside and uh, has had 14 100-yard games in his career, which is an air, tied for an Air Force record. He already passed D. Dallas, who was a Heisman finalist. He's now tied with Bo Morgan, who's an Air Force Hall of Famer and one of the all-time greats. So to put him in that stratosphere, you think, geez, this guy's got to think pretty highly of himself. He is the quickest to deflect anything once, no praise, no publicity. It's all everybody else. So he, he fits everything that you would want in a, a future leader and a cadet. And, oh, by the way, he's a heck of a football player. And if he walked by you down the street, you would never know that he is an A-plus fullback. Physically, you would never guess that that guy could run in between 300-pound men and break tackles. And then this matchup's fascinating because two of the best defensive players for the Rebels are up the middle. Eliel Himere, one of their defensive linemen, has been a top 25 interior defender by PFF all year. And Austin Ajake has been their, one of their leading tacklers. You know, Jacoby Winman moved on to Michigan State. But up the middle, this is going to be kind of, you know, nose-to-nose against Roberts and two of these good defenders inside. Well, and that's been a problem here recently um, because – Teams are really starting to hone in on the inside running, which they should. You've got to start there because if you don't stop that, yeah. you're not going to stop this offense. The product, the byproduct of that, getting to the outside has been a problem because teams have really collapsed on the inside. And so that's been the, the secret sauce. Wyoming did a really good job against that. Utah State did a very good job at that. And I do think that Austin Educate is, is one of the best inside linebackers in the country and i think he'll give air force some problems didn't see him last year he was injured um but uh, if you're able to stop that inside and then just be very good with one-on-one tackling uh, on the outside that's been the secret sauce so far air force is hoping fingers crossed that they're able to get a few guys that have missed a number of games here um and deandre hughes and zach larrier will give them a little added dimension and speed to the outside they've been missing uh, for them, hoping that they, they'll have a chance to get on the field. Don't know yet for sure, but it's basically been Hazik Daniels and John Lee Eldridge as the lone two guys that that really um, have been called upon to run to the edge. And unfortunately, when you're able to hone in on, on just two guys, uh, it's it's been tougher sledding, despite Air Force leading the nation and rushing uh, by a wide margin. Uh, getting to the outside has been difficult in recent weeks. Yeah, game planning for Air Force should be interesting because I don't think, and we have we really have no idea because there's no indication um, of his status. It might be a concussion for Doug Brumfield, but prepping for the quarterback is going to be much different because Brumfield's a much different guy than Cam Friel. Friel is good, and he can really throw it around the yard, but they're defending two different types of guys uh, depending on who gets to play. Oh, and big time. And I'll, I'll tell you, over the last number of years, the type of quarterback – that has given Air Force fits has been a mobile quarterback. Um, you can look at last year. The only loss that Air Force had in conference play was to Utah State, and the guy that came in and kind of took over that game was Andrew Peasley, 
He was much better than Logan Bonner outside of the pocket, made plays with his legs, extended plays, uh, and led them to a win. You fast forward to this year, Andrew Peasley for Wyoming did the very same thing. And then last week, Cooper Lega, um for, for Utah State, much better outside of the pocket and with his legs. He extended those plays. And anytime you're able to extend plays and have a matchup um, advantage with the wide receiver to cornerbacks, and a lot of teams will do that against Air Force because Air Force doesn't have the biggest defensive backs, extended plays are, are like the kryptonite. They cannot make the – they cannot allow that to happen. And a guy like Doug, Doug Brumfield, who can get outside the pocket and extend plays, would present some serious problems. So, I mean, if, if Air Force could handpick a quarterback to play against, I suspect they would not pick Doug Brumfield. This is a wide-open race in the Mountain West Conference. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I think a lot of people would have written off San Diego State, and then all of a sudden a safety moves across the line and throws for 350 yards. I think I asked you this in the preseason. I'm not sure that you're going to have an answer this time either. Who is the best team in the Mountain West Conference in football? Uh, so I'll have an answer, but I'll guarantee it's going to be wrong uh, because <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I don't think anyone would have predicted uh, what we've seen. I'll tell you, I think it's San Jose State, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the, the reasons why. One, a veteran quarterback that really seems to have settled in under Brent Brennan. Boy, they've made him uh, really good. He's always been multidimensional, could run and pass. But as you guys saw, Chevin Cordero is really, really good when he's got it going. He's got the receivers now, you know, with a couple of transfers in. Uh, offensively, they're very good. And then defensively, up front, um, their front seven may be as good as there is in the league. Um, and that will that will push them uh, well down the line here, I think, to to challenge for a spot in the Mountain West Championship game. And you look at their schedule, guys. I mean, what they have left here, uh, Nevada, Colorado State, at San Diego State, at Utah State, and Hawaii. Um, as you mentioned, San Diego State seems to be on the upswing. I just saw Utah State last week, and they were really, really good. So maybe the schedule is a little bit tougher than, than originally thought. But I think San Jose State right now um, is the best team in, in the league on the mountainside, I'm really not sure. I mean, Boise State looks like they've kind of found something with their run game. All of a sudden, George Halani is much better with Green at quarterback. If they're able to do that, they may not have to rely on the passing game as much. And defensively, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Um, but if you're asking me to pick the one team right now, it's the team that you guys just saw last week, and that's San Jose State. Yeah, they were awesome, no doubt. Well, great preview of the game. We appreciate it. We'll see you down here at the stadium, okay? Yep, look forward to it. Be well, Steve. There he is, Jesse Kurtz, Mountain West Conference and also the color voice of Air Force. Yeah, going back to uh, the defensive players, Ahimare and Ajake, both by PFF, scored under 60. Uh, Ajake had one of his worst games of the season at 44-2. Uh, he's now 168 in the country amongst the uh, linebackers. Ahimare has been top 13 all year by PFF. He's now down to 22. They both they had a tough time. Well, and I would think it's funny that he brings up tackling. I don't know what you saw when you were on the sideline. I saw a bunch of missed tackles as well for UNLV. Uh, on Cordero? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. There was one where L.E.L. himself, I, I don't even think it was Cordero. I think it was their little running back. He had him in his grasp, but he just kind of slips off and lets him run away. Like, those are the kind of things I was watching that. And my first thought was like, they got, you, they got Air Force next week? They better shore that up. It's going to be a problem. Uh, like I said, a hemorrhage up the middle and Ajake going against Roberts. And, you know, you notice when he said, Roberts is running up the middle 20 to 35 times. Obviously, with the dive play, he's he's a decoy a lot of the times. So he's going through the gauntlet all the time. It's going to be a good game.
It is going to be. It's going to be a really good game. By the way, San Jose State co-favorite with Boise State right now at DraftKings plus one sixty to win the conference. Really, four o'clock hours on the way.